You may be seated tonight. I, uh, I'm burdened about something. I want to. I want to share this with you. I, I'm not mad about this, uh, but I am kind of burdened about this. Um, I believe that uh, when when that the church today is somewhat in a, in, in some ways we've kind of gotten away why we're here. We uh, we forget a lot of times why we even meet. Um, I, I I travel and I, I counted the other day. I think we're closing in on 400 independent fundamental Baptist churches I've preached in, uh, which is not, it doesn't mean that I'm a, a big deal. It just means that I've been around and I've seen a lot. Um, I, I, I've been in a lot of churches, and I, I would say that, that churches today, uh, we used to be on a mission. We used to be trying to achieve a goal, but now it just seems like lots of times churches have kind of just slipped off and become country clubs with steeples on top of them. I really mean that. I mean, I really think that that that, that we have allowed the the byproduct of church and a community of a church people to become the actual goal. Okay, um, I, I I look at these um, uh, churches are are good for lots of things. I mean, I, I all of my friends are church people. Okay, uh, my church family basically is my family. Okay, I mean, I love the community. I love the friendship. I love I love all of that. I love getting together with God's people. People. I mean, I love having God's people come over to my house. I love, I love fellowshipping, going out to eat at Bahongales with God's people. I mean, I, I love, I love all of that stuff. Okay, I love all of that stuff. But God has not placed us here on this planet to just fellowship and eat fried chicken and and criticize Barack Obama. Okay, I mean, there's more to why we're here. Uh, the purpose of the church and the purpose of why we're here and why we give and why we sing and why we go is is because there's a world out there that when they die, they're going to go to a place called hell. And and but the thing is, is that we have a message that will fix that. We have uh, we have a savior who died for our sins, and we have the the, the gospel message, which is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, and it, it's not a social gospel; it is a spiritual gospel. Where where if you will receive Christ as your savior, you can have the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ imputed onto your account, and you can be born again. And when you die, you don't have to go to that awful place called hell. Uh, you can go to heaven and be with us and man we're going to walk around the new Jerusalem together and it's going to be awesome praise God that's the gospel message and can I tell you that the reason we exist is so that we can pool our resources and organize ourselves as a body to go out and reach that old dying world out there uh, can I tell you that, that that the church is the body of Christ now, now we are now Jesus Christ's physical body in, in, in one man is not here today, but it is still here. The body of Christ is here. It's you. You are the body of Christ. Now, when the body of Christ was here on earth, what was his mission? His mission was to seek and to save that which was lost. Okay. Now, the body of Christ is still here, and, and the purpose of the body of Christ is still the same. To seek and to save that which is lost. Now, Christ is the head. We are the body. And if we are not doing what the head wants to do, then we've got a major problem. We're, we're at a sink. We've, we've lost touch with, with what God has called us to do, my friend. And I'm afraid today, and you pray for me, I'm, I'm not mad about this, but I am genuinely concerned. I, 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 I sorrow in my heart. I think most churches today have gone into the entertainment business. 
Really, I think so. I think I think for most people, church is just a place that uh, that you know you you. And for some folks, it's, it's a place that they go so they can exhibit their talent, musical talent. Are we okay? Hallelujah! I need to stop and tell a joke right there because I think I might have offended somebody. And can I tell you that that this this is not a platform to you for you to display talent. This is this is where the word of God is preached. This is where Christ is glorified. And uh, and, and can I tell you, I, I'm afraid so many people have got this thing wrong. We are not supposed to sit inside of a building and shout and cry and then let the world die and go to hell. We're supposed to get here and get charged up so we can go out there and reach the world with the gospel. Now, now let me say this. I, I, I want to get into this text, and I want, to, I want you to see several things here about the gospel. The, the book of Philippians is the Apostle Paul's prayer letter, like I said, to this church. But I want to give you five things out of, the, out of this uh, uh, first chapter here, and I want you to see these things, and I want them to be impressed in your mind. I'm praying that God will do that. Uh, the first thing I want to see here, number one, is Paul's fellowship in the gospel. It says this in verse number it says, for your fellowship uh, in the gospel from the first day until now. Uh, can I tell you that the Apostle Paul could not have done what he had done unless the church at Philippi had backed him financially and prayerfully into what he had done. Amen. Uh, can I tell you that no man is a self-made man in the ministry? It takes a team effort to get the job done. I remember when I was in high school, we uh, I played on the football team. I loved football. I still love football. And the reason I love football is because I love seeing grown barbarian men beat each other's brains out on a football field. I love that, praise God. Some of you didn't laugh when I said that, but that's okay. I love watching men beat each other half to death. I love that. I, I ha excuse me, I apologize. I've got testosterone in my system, and for me to see that happen, I just love it. I, I think it's good and great and awesome, praise God. And uh, I, I don't think Christian men ought to fight each other. I think, I think you ought to find a way to work it out. But if two Christian men are dead set on giving each other the go-around in the parking lot, you better believe I'm going to watch. Amen. <laughs> Praise God, because I love that kind of stuff. I love competition. I, I, love, I love all that. I love it. And can I tell you that uh, when I was in high school, we had a stud athlete come through our school. Uh, his daddy was, a, uh, was a, uh, uh, actually an agent for professional athletes. And uh, this guy's name was Kenny Irons. Kenny Irons was 15 years old. And I saw Kenny Irons squat 500 pounds in the weight room as a 15-year-old. This guy was destined for greatness. I mean, this guy had the goods. And uh, and his daddy was agent, so he had all the connections and everything. This guy was being recruited by South Carolina. Uh, I think Kentucky wanted him. But uh, he ended up uh, going to Auburn University and started running back for them for two years. And uh, and we played with him in high school. I remember one time that uh, Kenny Irons, we got to play in the Corky Kell Kickoff Classic every year, our first football game. And uh, the Corky Kell Kickoff Classic was basically the top eight football teams in the state of Georgia got to go in the Georgia Dome with the Atlanta Falcons play in our first game every year we got to go in there and the top eight teams would play each other and uh, it was exciting it was thrilling and I remember the Kenny Irons senior year of high school we went in there uh, into that uh, in that stadium and Kenny Irons ran the ball the first seat our first game of the football season he ran the ball for over 450 yards in one football game uh, I think the final score was like 55 to 14 is what it was it was a bloodbath I loved it every second of it. Amen. I mean, it was awesome. 
but you know, when the game was over, this was a big event in Atlanta, but when the game was over, all the reporters, guess where they went? They went to the star of the show, Kenny Irons, and they, there was cameras in his face. I mean, he was, he was 17, going to turn on 18. There's cameras all in his face, reporter microphones all in his face after the game. And uh, they said, Kenny Irons, how do you feel? How do you feel? And by the way, I, I have never, never, never heard a professional athlete say something intelligent after a football game. You ever heard that before? I mean, you know, it's like, uh, you, you just won the game. How do you feel? I feel good. I mean, is that not what they do every time? It's, I mean, really, it's, uh, you know, how do you feel? You just won the Super Bowl. It was fun. All right. And they play that in the news for like three days. So, you know, uh, I, I've never, well, I, I'm sorry. I should have said that. You pray for me. Uh, I just, I don't think athletes are very intelligent. I just think they're very good at what they do. And that's about all they are good for. Amen. So, but uh, Kenny Irons, they went up to him and they, uh, they put all the microphones in his face and everything. And uh, after that was over, uh, they actually said, Kenny, you just ran for 450 yards in the Court and Kelp Kickoff Classic at the 858 uh, public school, high school level. Uh, how do you feel? I, th I mean, I think the guy ran for like six touchdowns in a game, which is like a Georgia State high school record there. And, and uh, it, was, it was unbelievable. And, uh, and he, he said this. He said, all of you reporters stay right here. I'll be right back. And he ran off. We're talking about quirky. I mean, just weird. I mean, all those guys, they just looked at each other, and I saw it. They all looked at each other, and he went, he grabbed this big, fat guy and pulled him over here, put him in front of the reporters. He went over here, grabbed this big, fat guy, pulled him over, put him in front of the reporters. Went over here, grabbed this big, fat guy, pulled him over here, and, and pulled five big, fat offensive linemen and put them in front of the reporters. And he said to them, and they said, you want to know how I ran for 450 yards? Talk to these guys. I'm going to the locker room and ran off the field. Can I tell you, that's how it works. I, I have, I've, I've had some very nice people pay me a very good compliments as, as a missionary and as a mission work. They say, we've never heard anything like this. We've never seen God do 138 churches like this before. And you know me. Am I some unbelievable off the charts? Don't answer that, please. And uh, <laughs> but I, I shouldn't have said that. Praise God. I just depressed myself. But can I tell you that every missionary that's out there has a group of people supporting him that without that group, they couldn't do anything. Couldn't do anything. Can I tell you, at the judgment seat of Christ, a lot of these hot shot preachers that we look to, man, that guy's got good. There's going to be a lot of old, little old ladies who pray for that man every day that you never heard of, you never known, you never been around, you don't know anything about. But at the judgment bar of God, they're going to be given all the rewards for that preacher of what he did. Amen. There's going to be a lot of, if I could put it this way, there's going to be a lot of offensive linemen on God's team that you don't know that are fellowshipping with the missionary and enabling the missionary to go off and do what they can do. Can I tell you, God, God's keeping score, all that kind of stuff. Amen. I, uh, I, get, I get sick of the ministerial politics today, these people doting on each other and politicking and getting these, these big, oh, brother, that's the cause. You're a delightful guy. And it, it, it's, it's sickening is what it is. Most of these preaching conferences that I see in these periodicals are nothing more than a, than a slobbering, self-love, self-congratulatory conference. Nonsense. Trying to say who's the greatest. Can I tell you, that's a stupid question. Who's the greatest? Jesus is the greatest. And we're just a bunch of junk that Jesus uses. And if anything is done for good and for God, it's not done because I'm good. It's done because Jesus is good. Hallelujah. I had to get that off my chest. Amen. Praise God. We'll edit that out of the video. Hallelujah. 
The fellowship of the gospel. The fellowship of the gospel. I believe that, that when it comes to the purpose of missions, and we got to fellowship together. we got to get together. You cannot reach Kenya without me. And I can't reach Kenya without you. We say we're independent. No, we're really, truth is we're inter interdependent. You can't do it without me, and I can't do it without you. I had a mean-spirited man come to me after church one time. He said, Spencer, why do I even need you? Why does our church even need you? I thought, you don't, but how are you going to reach Kenya without me? He, he said, good point, walked away. Amen. So... Can I tell you, there's a lot of the missionaries. I'm just using Kenya because I'm here. That's where I work. Uh, but how are you going to reach Kenya without me? You're not. How am I going to reach Kenya without you? I'm not. We have fellowship together. And that's how it works. Let me say also, let me give you this number two. I gave you the fellowship of the gospel. Let me give you this also, the fortification of the gospel. Look what it says in verse number six of Philippians one. It says, being confident of this very thing, that he hath, which, which hath begun a, a good work in you, will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, insomuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are partakers of of my grace. Let me give you this also. Look at verse number 17. I'm giving you, uh, give you the fellowship of the gospel. Let me give you the fortification of the gospel. It says there in verse number 17, but, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. It says there the defense and confirmation of the gospel. That word defense, I wrote in my Bible, that word defense is what the gospel is not. What the gospel is not. And then also it says the confirmation, I wrote in my Bible, what the gospel actually is. What the gospel is is not and what the gospel actually is. And can I tell you today that we live in a world of, of people that are trying to redefine everything. Uh, we, we, we have a group of people out there today that are trying to preach the gospel that don't even know what the gospel actually is. Uh, can I tell you that there's a bunch of people out there calling themselves civil rights leaders that claim to be Baptist preachers. Uh, we, we just celebrated one this week. But can I tell you the gospel that they're preaches, preaching is not the gospel of this Bible. Can I tell you that the gospel of Jesus Christ is not some social justice something or another. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not about righting all the wrongs in the world. The gospel of Jesus Christ is about pulling people out of hell and having folks receive Christ as their Savior and, and believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That is the gospel, the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, my friend. That's the gospel. And can I tell you today that we got to learn if we're going to if we're going to give the gospel, we have to learn what the gospel is not. And can I tell you today that the Apostle Paul warned about this? There are going to be a bunch of people, especially in the last days, that are going to try to redefine everything and are going to try to tell you something about the gospel that just is not so. There's going to be people in the last days who are going to tell you that if you didn't get baptized in that tank right there, you're not saved. There's going to be people out there in, in, in these last days that are going to tell you if you don't talk in tongues, you're not born again. There's going to be people in these last days that tell you that if you don't tithe to your local church, you've, you've fallen from grace and you're not even saved. Uh, can I tell you there's a theological term for that? It's called hogwash. Amen. Most people going to heaven don't even tithe anyway. Amen. If that would be the case, we'd be in trouble, Brother Honey. Praise God. Baptist folks don't even tithe. Amen. I, I give at least 3%, praise Jesus, so you pray for me. 
I'm going to tell you today, let me, let me give you what the gospel is, okay? For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's the gospel. Matter of fact, let me, let me go. There. I was reading in Mark chapter 16 today. Let me, let me show you this. Go to Mark chapter 16. Oh, boy, I'm getting ready to go to Kenya. And we, we all got to push back against those Pentecostals over there in Kenya and those Charismatics in Kenya. And I want you to see this. This is so interesting how they try to twist verses and contort verses out of context. Uh, this is one of those hallmark verses that these Pentecostals and these Charismatics use over there in, my, in Mark chapter number 16. It says this in verse number 15 of Mark 16. He says, go, and he said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Thank God that's our job, to preach the gospel to every creature. Every creature needs a preacher. Praise Jesus. I like that. And you and I have met some pretty wild creatures out there, aren't there? Amen. It says in verse number 16, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. They stop right there. And they say, you got to believe and be baptized and be saved. But they forget the rest of that verse. It says, but he that believeth not shall be damned. What's the qualification for dying and going to hell? Believing not. And you know, we've we, we got a bunch of people today standing behind pulpits that have built their whole ministry off half-truths. They're not telling lies, they're just telling half-truths. You say, well, what's wrong with Joel Osteen? He says truth. problem with guys like Joel Osteen is it's, it may not be something way out there wild that they're saying, but what they're saying is only half true. We okay? Is everybody all right? We all right? So I, I feel tension. I'm scared. I, I don't know. I, I, I might need to cut this off. Can we have a vote of confidence real quick? Give me a right hand of fellowship if you think I'm doing okay. Would you raise your hand? Nobody raise their hand. I, raise your hand if you think I'm doing good. Raise, raise your hand. All right. Praise Jesus. That's the first time some of you ever raised your hand in church. Amen. <laughs> I, uh, I'm talking about the defense and confirmation of the gospel. There's going to be a bunch of folks out there today that are going to try to water down the gospel. Matter of fact, I met one in, in, in Africa one time that told me if I had not spoken in tongues that I've never been born again. Can I tell you, that's a bunch of nonsense what that is. I got saved because I understood that I was a sinner. And I understood if I didn't receive Christ as my Savior, I was going to die and go to hell. And I got on my knees and I prayed and asked Jesus Christ to come in my heart and I got born again. And that's what God did in my life. Something happened inside of me. I can't explain it, but something changed inside of me and I've never been the same. And that was 16 years ago. I got born again by the grace of God. God changed me from the inside out. I, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away and behold, all things become new. That happened in my life and therefore I'm saved. And there ain't no reason to make it harder than that. I've seen five-year-olds get saved. And I've seen people that were 95 years old get saved. You know why? It's believe and receive. John 1, 12, But as many as received Him, to them gave you power to become the sons of God, even to them to believe on His name. There's no baptism. There's no tongues. There's no, you got to join a church. There's nothing of that in there. And I think sometimes we try to muddy the water of the gospel. Praise God. I'm set for the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. I want to.
fortify the gospel. I give you the fellowship of the gospel, fortification of the gospel. Let me give this number three. I would say this, the furtherance of the gospel. Look what it says in verse number 12 of Philippians chapter 1. It says, but I uh, would that you should understand, brethren, that the things which have happened to me have fallen out rather to the furtherance of the gospel so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all places and in all of the uh, in." all the palace and in all of the places and many of the brethren in the Lord waxing confident by my bonds are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, some also of goodwill. Uh, the one preached Christ with intention, not sincerely supposing that affliction of my bond, but the other love knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel, what did now is standing either way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and therein do I rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. Can I tell you this, that the Apostle Paul, he, he said, I want to defend the gospel, but I also want to make sure that the gospel gets out there to people. Can I tell you, there's so many people out there that they're, they're so busy sitting in their office and just looking at the Bible and studying the Bible, the Bible, the Bible, and trying to understand the Bible and letting everybody around them die and go to hell. We got, I mean, I got tickled. When I was in Bible college, there was a bunch of these brainiac Bible students that they could quote verses, they knew verses, uh, they never did anything with it. I was, uh, I, we, we preached in New England. Is everybody okay? We all right? I, uh, I preached in New England up there where the them Yankees live. Make me nervous. I, I, don't, I, 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 you go up there and everybody talks like they're a chainsaw. Just, ah, 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 ah. Like a chainsaw with a bad mix of gas, what they sound like, hey, Spencer, how you doing? <laughs> Bothered me to death. I had a rough time. And I went, but I was scared because up there, you have, if you have, I, I love guns, and I carry a gun with me almost all the time everywhere I go. Uh, my wife says I got two guns right there. I won't say that, but anyway, I, uh, I, I like guns. I like Glocks. I like Remingtons. I, I mean, I, I, I love guns. Someone asked me, he said, what's the right kind of gun to buy? If it points and shoots and you pull the trigger and it says bang, that's the right gun to buy. Amen. And, uh, but I, I, I went up, I, we were going to go up there, but I said, you know, man, you can't carry guns up there because those people are anti-gun, which makes them weird. And, uh, uh, but if you carry a gun in your car while you go up there, you go to jail. I mean, really, if, if, if you were to drive through New Jersey today and you were to have a shotgun in the trunk of your car, they're put, you're in jail 10 years. You're done. I mean, you've committed a felony. I mean, that, that's how it is up there, okay? And uh, I was preaching in Boston. And, uh, and I, I, uh, I, I got up there, and for some reason, I, I put a suit on just to go to church because I, I wear a suit when I go to church because uh, I was preaching. And I, I put my suit on, and everything got up there. And I'm sitting on the front row, and they're, they're getting ready to ask me to come up in the pulpit to preach. And, uh, and I reach in my pocket, and there's a bullet in my pocket. And I'm in Boston, okay? And uh, I was scared because I thought, my life is over. I've committed a felony. Uh, I'm going to be one of those preachers that's in prison for the rest of his life. God's given me a jail ministry. And uh, I thought, I'm going to have to write my wife letters from New Jersey prison for the rest of my life. And, uh, and, and, and I, I realized, I said, well, never mind. This, ain't, this thing ain't no, no good to nobody. I said, it's just a bullet. And I went up there and in the pulpit right there. And I thought, that's just a bullet. And I set it up there because I, I wanted to intimidate that crowd because they were scared to death of guns, amen? But, you know, I got to thinking about that bullet. You know that bullet just sitting there on that pulpit? It was no, no danger to anybody. You know why? Because a bullet is just a little something unless you put it in a gun and you 
cock the mechanism or whatever it is, and, and you pull back the hammer, and you pull the trigger, and that trigger hits the firing pin, the firing pin hits the primer, the primer ignites, and ignites the gunpowder in there, and it sends all that, that bullet down the barrel of a gun. I, I love guns, by the way. And, uh, and, and, and it, it, that bullet is of no danger to anybody unless it's sent properly. And can I tell you that the gospel of Jesus Christ has the power to change your life and to change a drunk's life and to change some, some crazy wicked woman's life. The gospel can change anybody's life, but the gospel does no good unless the gospel is sent. We can say all that we want to about how how we've got the gospel and how how there's a need out there. Oh, there's a need out But unless we're sending the gospel and handing out gospel tracts and preaching the word of God and telling our lost family members and our lost co-workers about Jesus Christ, then the gospel is not going to be given to people. Amen. The furtherance of the gospel. Can I tell you that so many... we, we In churches today, we talk about missions in theory. Boy, I sure would be a good thing if somebody went out there and gave the gospel to somebody. I stand at the back of churches all the time. People are like, oh, I pray. we're glad you're doing something. Somebody, somebody ought to do something. And I never say this, but I think, well, what are you doing? I mean, really, what, what are you doing with it? What are you doing with the gospel? What are you doing? And I think sometimes we've subcontracted our responsibility out to missionaries and to preachers. Okay, I'm nervous right now. Are we all right? Y'all are bothering me. I had 14 cups of coffee today, and I'm a little nervous right now, praise God. I, uh, I pray for me. The furtherance of the gospel. Let me give you this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a point that's going to make you mad. It's a point that's going to make you mad. You all right? I'm, I'm, this, is, this is a, uh, what do they call that? A trigger warning. Amen. This is a trigger warning, okay? I gave you the furtherance of the gospel. Let me give you a the framework of the gospel. Verse 27, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. That word conversation is an interesting word. It means lifestyle. Only let your lifestyle be as becometh, as it is in line with the gospel of Christ. I um, want to tell you this, that a Christian who says that Jesus Christ has changed his life ought to live like Jesus Christ has changed their life. The worst hindrance to the gospel is not these atheist professors in these colleges trying to discredit the Bible. The worst hindrance to the gospel is, is the people that claim to believe it that don't live like it. You do more damage to lost people by living like the world and living just like them than any immoral, wicked human being who doesn't believe the gospel ever could. Can I tell you what hurts the work of God? It's not the heathens, it's the God's people. I told you you'd be mad at me. Only let your conversation be as becometh the gospel of Christ. When I was a teenager, I, I, I grew up on the football team there in Atlanta. The problem with all those guys at the football team, they all profess to be Christians and they all profess Christ, but they all went to a big, gigantic, wicked, worldly church up the road, big old mega church. And, and one time they invited me to come to a Sunday school service there at their church. And I went to that church and I walked in the Sunday school department there and all these teenagers are everywhere. And I walked in that place and sure enough, I walked by and I said, Two weeks ago, that guy was drunk at a party, puking his guts out. I'm not about deacon's kids, okay? 
I'm talking about assistant pastor's kids that I went to school with, played on the football team with. I'm like, yep, I know about that girl. I know, I know terrible things about her. I know things about that guy. And, you know, the problem was all those church people lived just as wicked as I did as a teenager. And they did so much damage to me as a lost kid. I don't even know if they even realize it to this day. Matter of fact, uh, if you study all the wicked people of society, I, I have a weird habit. I love to study wicked people, okay? Wicked people. Some of them are Baptist people, amen? And, uh, but there's a wicked guy that I studied not too long ago named uh, Anton LaVey. Anybody ever heard of that guy before, Anton LaVey? Uh, Anton LaVey was the founder of the Church of Satan. It's actually in San Francisco, California. There's an actual 501c3 church called the Church of Satan. And... Uh, and matter of fact, uh, their, their theme song is one of those Eagle songs, Hotel California. Y'all ever heard that before? That song y'all got in your tape deck right now. Amen. And, uh, you know, that, that song is, a, is written about the church of Satan. Some people don't even know what they're listening to. Okay. And uh, they asked him in an interview, said, Mr. LeVay, why did you why did you go and start a church of Satan? Why did you do that? And he said, well, because I don't believe I don't believe the Bible's even remotely true. And so what caused you to believe that? He said, Christian people caused me to believe that. He said, why? And, and they asked him to explain it. And it's actually, it's even on his Wikipedia page. You want to go look it up? It's there. He said when he was a kid, he traveled with the circus. And he said his daddy was a, was a circus, whatever, what are you, a roadie? What do you call that? What, what, I don't know what you call it. They said his daddy traveled with the circus, and, and he said he traveled with the circus as a kid. He said, I remember sitting there at nine years old running a booth at the circus of the game. And he said, I remember sitting there, and, and I, the Pentecostals came to town to put a tent right in the middle of the fair and had a revival service. And I sat back and watched that revival service. And he said, I saw these people shout, and I saw them praise God, and I saw them do this, that, the other. And I saw them say the thing, you know, say talk the jargon of Christianity, and I saw them preach the Bible. I saw them do all these things he said but the funny thing was what they not what they did during the service what they did after the service it really bothered me he said i saw them walk out of that tent and walk into bars and walk into movie theaters and he said i knew then there ain't nothing to that bible stuff the darkest darkness that there is spiritually is not found in these colleges it's found in these worldly churches only let your, I told you you'd be mad at me. Only let your conversation be as with becometh the gospel of Christ. That's the framework of the gospel. Look in verse number 27, and I will give an invitation here. The framework of the gospel, let me give this lastly, the, gospel, the fight of the gospel. Only let your conversation be as becometh the gospel of Christ, uh, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit, one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Can I tell you the, the fight of the gospel? You know, what the, you know what the fight of the gospel is? The fight of the gospel is to keep the gospel the main thing. That's that, uh, So many churches, I, there's a friend of mine, when Bible college got a phone call from a church in Georgia and said, we want you to come be our pastor. And they said, well, tell us. He said, tell me about the church. And he said this. He said, they, they told him, said, well, the church runs about 25 people, but the Christian school that the church runs runs about 400. And he asked me, he said, what do you think? I said, you better take that thing. I said, you'll be, you'll, you'll be Christian school man first, preacher second. And I said, that church got out of balance somewhere. They let, they let the Christian school become the tail that wags the dog. 
And I said, you better not take that thing. And he didn't, thank God. And that thing, that thing's about folded now. But can I tell you, the main thing is, needs to be the main thing. And it's a fight to keep the main thing the main thing. You'd be surprised how many churches have become nothing more than entertainment venues for these quartets that run the country. Can I tell you, God has not called us to entertain each other. God has called us to evangelize them. If we're not doing that, what are we doing? The gospel. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be here tonight. And I pray that you speak to our hearts. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Nobody looking. I'm going to ask the pastor to come give the invitation as he sees fit. How many say heads bowed and eyes closed? Nobody looking. How many say, I know that I'm born again. I've received the gospel of Jesus Christ. I know Jesus is my Savior. Would you raise your hand tonight say, I know Jesus is my Savior. Amen. Amen. Hands all over the building. Praise God. What are you doing with the gospel? What are you doing with it? The gospel does no good unless you send it. Father, bless this invitation now as the preacher comes. In Jesus' name. Preacher. What happened?